Well, we've been spending the last uh, few weeks, and we're going to spend some more uh, in, during the summer, spending time about being uh, a citizen of heaven. And I know Pastor Mark uh, talked a little bit last week about being a citizen of heaven here on earth, and we're going to build on that some more. You see, God's desire for us is to be citizens of heaven here on earth. And so we're going to hear God this morning, I pray, that he directs us how we might do that in love and in truth. Paul talks about, uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he he talks about how we do that. And uh, I encourage you to read uh, the 12th, 13th, and 14th chapter. He talks about the church in Corinth about how they are, their spiritual gifts and how they're not using them properly. And then in chapter 13, which we'll park on today, he talks about love and how we are to love one another and how we are to be in love with God Almighty. And then in chapter 14, he talks about how it works. So I encourage you to, to read those uh, three chapters. You know, Paul was what a teacher should be. Uh, He's one of these guys that when his students needed correction, he graciously and lovingly corrected them. But more importantly, he gave them some guidance as to what they should be doing, not what they actually were doing. And he's saying that to us today. So I think as we read and hear the message today, you're going to see, even though he's talking about the Corinthians and the church that seems to be off track a bit, he's talking about us today and where we are. So if you grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, but please join me. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith as to move or remove mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account the wrong suffering. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully. But now faith, hope, uh, faith, love, and hope abide in these, but the greatest of these is love. Our scripture this morning is not what it first appears to be. There are those who have excerpts of this scripture on their walls. There are those that have had parts of this scripture as beautiful wedding ceremonies. 
But this text is just not a lovey, mushy text of falling in love and getting married. In fact, Paul was not thinking of marriage when he penned this. His words were more about growing in the truth of God's love and about being a citizen of God's kingdom. Paul was working on a church that had some real problems concerning just how they should treat one another. The church was in conflict, but though they had a, or thought they had arrived spiritually, so let's take some advice that Paul gives to the church and to the Corinthians. More importantly, let's see how they pertain to us today. Today we see churches performing religious ceremonies. In fact, we see them performing a lot more than we see them preaching the truth in his word. We struggle to understand from a biblical perspective what a Christian looks like today. We see believers deciding that there are parts of the Bible that they want to adhere to and other parts they think do not pertain to them. You see, followers set their own bar as to where Christianity should be, and they set it low enough to where they can exceed the expectations of someone else that says they're a Christian. The question can be asked today, Can you claim to be a believer, but you do it when it suits you? We put up a facade as to who we really are and even better, what our past really looks like. Here's some truth about one family. A family that was very proud of where they came from. The Smiths were proud that their family tradition began on the Mayflower. There included senators and pastors and teachers and Wall Street executives. So they decided that they would compile a history to pass on to children to come about how awesome their family was. They reached out to somebody that would pin this historical perspective of their family. And they told this person, you dig also into our family. We're going to continue to dig. And as they dug some more, they found a great-uncle George. Great-uncle George was executed in an electric chair. And they had thought, well, let's just leave great-uncle George out. And then someone said, no, let's leave him in because he was probably wrongly accused and wrongly convicted, so let's do a little more digging, and they discovered that it was not the case. He was guilty. Again, they struggled to decide whether or not to leave George in or out of their historical family paper. In the meantime, the person that was writing the paper had finished. And as he gave them the paper to review, they read this about Uncle George. George Smith occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution was attached to his position with strong ties, and his death came as a real shock. That was the truth. And so often we take Scripture and we take our lives and we want to twist it and turn it and leave a little bit out and go, this is us. What are you going to hear this morning about truth? The question is, do we always, listen to always, do we always speak the truth? 
Should we always speak the truth? Those are two easily answered questions. If you're honest, you can say, well, there's been times that I wasn't completely truthful. I I left a little bit out, but, you know, that part wasn't important. But should we always speak the truth? The answer to that is yes. Growing in God's truth means living life God's way in love and truth. As we go back through the readings this morning, we'll see that truth understands that love is essential. In the first three verses, it's not doing the right thing with the wrong motive. When we communicate, we should speak with love. And that removes, really removes language barriers. Otherwise, we are making just a noise. The biggest part of communication is listening with an open, loving heart to truly understand what is being said to you. Prophecy, for example, is the ability to communicate the truth of God to others without love, even knowing God has no meaning to others. Even one with no regard for their life or their possessions and is willing to give it up for somebody else, without love, it doesn't matter how much money you give away. Love moves far beyond our material things, and it moves far beyond our ability. Paul is saying that there's a balancing act that must take place in our lives and in the life of the church, that we must use all our gifts and use them based on love and use them in love for others. Love creates credibility. In life, many people have wonderful gifts, but the motive behind using those gifts undermine what they're trying to do and undermines the gift. If our faith and practice of following Christ is for any reason other than to return the love that he has freely given us, we lose credibility with our Savior. Truth understands that love is practical. In the next verses 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, love always protects. A more literal translation would be to say that love bears all things. Paul lived this out as he sought not to be an obstacle to those that that were following him for the sake of Jesus Christ. Love always trusts. Paul is saying love with faith. And love has faith. Love and faith go hand in hand. Love enables us to believe where we have not yet seen. Love always has hope. Love does not give up. It always perseveres. Love is patient. Have you ever seen that love from someone else toward you? That love is patient. That it is kind. More importantly, do others see that kind of love from you? Paul is telling us that this kind of love is to be lived here and now. This wasn't just a letter to those folks back then. It is a message to us today. In verse 8, we see the truth of the practicality of love is not negative. Love is not envious, nor is it jealous, nor is it quarrelsome. Love is not boastful, it's not prideful, and it's not arrogant. Love is not rude. Another translation would be, love does not act in a shameful manner. Love is not self-seeking. Others come first when love is in control, not you. Love is not easily angered. Love is not irritable. 
Love does not keep, is a keeper of wrong. It holds no grudge. Love does not delight in evil or injustice, but rejoices in what? The truth. Love desire to go, love's desire is to go God's way. Love grows up in truth. Love pushes our character to point it to be Christ-like. The practicality of love is that it builds unity, and more importantly, it builds character. But we have examples of struggling to speak the truth. A man received a phone call from his wife who had been away into Europe on a business trip, and she had a long trek back. And so she called and she asked how things were doing, how he was doing. He said, fine. She asked, how's the cat? Her husband's response was, he's dead. Her reply was, oh, honey, you shouldn't be so honest with me. Why did you break, why didn't you break this news to me more slowly? You have ruined my long trip home. Her husband said, what do you mean? She said, you, you could have told me that he was on the roof. And when I transferred planes in, England, in London, you could have told me that he was sick when I called. Then when I called from New York, you could have told me that he was at the vet. And then when I finally got home, you could have told me that he passed away. The husband, as probably every husband in this room, had never been exposed to such protocol. And so he was completely confused. But he loved his wife, and like every husband in this room, was willing to try and learn. And so he said, babe, I will do better next time. There was that silence between husband and wife that occurs when, A, the husband is corrected, or I back up, when the husband is wrong and the wife has corrected him. And so during that pause then, his wife came back and said, so how's my mom? And again, the husband, still going through the gyration he had went through before, said, she's on the roof. <laughs> Truth understands that love is permanent. In verses 8 through 13, loving truth understands that we do not understand everything. The Corinthian church, the Corinthian church believed that they were being held in high esteem, but this was not going to last. What they thought was clearly seen was a poor reflection. What they thought was perfection was imperfection. You see, we must grow in truth. When we were children, we acted like children. When we grow up, and some of us are still working on growing up, we put away childish desires. Today is the time Today is the time to live our lives in truth so that we might be citizens of heaven on this earth. Love is all that remains. Truth understands faith becomes our sight and hope our reality. Love is a foretaste of our ultimate relationship with God for eternity. It undergirds everything else and gives us semblance of meaning in this chaotic world that we're in today. Only when love presides over our common life in the church will the other actions 
and our spiritual gifts find their rightful place to achieve the purpose for which God intends for us. It's not about us. It's about the master's plan, the plan for his glory and for his kingdom. Citizens of his kingdoms, they know that love reigns and they know that love remains. But yet how often do we modify God's word to find an interpretation that seems to be reasonable to us? And how often do we twist it or leave something out so we can make that our truth? You see, doing what feels right versus doing what is right leads us to trouble. Have you ever heard this? Listen to your heart, then determine what you should do. Or how about just do what feels right? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is, the most dece- is more deceitful than, any, than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Today, we are so often encouraged to follow our heart by listening to our emotions and doing what they tell us to do. This presumes that whatever our heart is telling us to do is intrinsically good. They are based on our feelings, and now they become our truth. Are your feelings always something that is good to follow? When you become angry, which is an emotion, should you act immediately on that anger? Often we are mad, not over anything in particular, but we're just mad because that day has been terrible, and we're just going to be mad at everything that happens just not going our way. You see, it almost seems that we should have a security system to run our emotions through before we act. Wait, we do. It's the Holy Spirit. It's taking that moment to seek God in all situations. Sometimes our emotions get past the security checkpoint. And that's when we so often hear, well, God has given me free will and he will forgive me if I'm wrong. So I feel like this is what I need to do and so I'm going to do it and I'm sure God is okay with my decision. Often what feels right goes against what is right. I want to visit real quick something that we visited during Easter time and that's the 27th chapter of Matthew uh, beginning in the 15th verse. Jesus stands before Pilate as the crowd saves Barnabas, and later we're going to take a real quick look at Peter's actions. So let's look at Pilate and the mob. They all knew the right thing to do. It was not ignorance that led them. It was allowing their emotions to rule their hearts that caused the disaster. We want to believe our emotions are a true compass. The truth is that our emotions are so often off. Because we are a sinful people, and we are a self-centered people. Do not believe that the good will come out of only listening to your emotions. You can look in Proverbs 3, 5, where it says, Trust the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And then in Proverbs four twenty three, it reads, Watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flow the springs of life. Our emotions often point towards sinful feelings, feelings of love that leads to a relationship that's not really based on love, 
feelings of jealousy that lead to destroying relationships, often with those that love us the most. Our emotions are so often point us towards self-centered things, feelings of peace that cause us from confronting someone in truth. Feelings of happiness that leads us to continue to spend inordinate amounts of time on things that God doesn't want us to pay any attention to. How much time do we spend on Facebook? How much time do we spend in front of websites? How much time do we spend with addictions? How much time do we spend just being lazy? How much time do we spend away from God? And then the final question is, how much time do we spend with God? Let's look at one thing that Satan will use to really make our emotions more unreliable and more powerful tool for him. And I want to call it the what-if factor. It's when we play the what-if game with our emotions that we have fear, that pride and jealousy get in our way. You see, Pilate knew that violent unrest could cost him his position. So he wanted to do all he could to keep the peace. In his mind, the what if was the unrest. It allowed fear to trump what he knew was the truth. The mob and the elders saw Jesus as a threat to them. What if he survives? They allowed pride and anger to demand Christ be crucified. And then how about Peter? Being affiliated with Jesus in that moment might cost him his life. Peter is the one that said, I will die for you. I'm never going to turn my back on you. I am with you always. This guy that he was worth was going to fight for and die for. He allowed his emotions, not the truth, to be in charge of his response. To be citizens of heaven in his loving truth, we must walk and speak the truth. Our emotions are often a place where our moods have really no rationale when we have them. We have mood swings off and on, and sometimes we are trying to figure out why we feel the way we do. It just controls us, and sometimes we decide, you know what, I'm just going to ride this out and see what happens. Emotions make a great caboose, but a real lousy locomotive when you put your emotions in charge you're headed for trouble you're following the caboose now the caboose has value but it's not to pull the train often we pursue feelings instead of condition or the truth make your decision on who you want to be who God desires for you to be not what you feel like and certainly not what others think you should be or think you are. Jesus, in his humanness, had the opportunity in a moment in time of going, you know what, I'm just going to walk away from this. But instead, he says, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Then he speaks of the joy set before him. It's not the pain of being nailed to the cross, but the joy of his sacrifice. Self-control and sacrifice are doing what so often you do not feel like doing. The path of spiritual victory requires control over your emotions. Giving into your feelings 
offers a short-term high in exchange for a long-term price tag. When we struggle with earthly temptations, go to the one that's created all things, to the one that has created you. Go to him in prayer. Open his holy word. You know, let me just give you, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of scriptures that will guide you back to the truth. But if you're struggling with something, I just want to give you two this morning. If you're a slave to the Most High God, you should feel comfortable and confident with going to Scripture and reading them out loud during prayer time. Psalms 26.2 says, Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Some people go, well, uh, that's a great Scripture, Pastor, but um, I really don't want to do that because he might actually do that. You can go to Psalms 19, 14. The next time you want to engage your mouth before you have really processed what is going on, where it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. To live as a citizen of heaven on this earth is exceedingly difficult, and you're going to be challenged daily by the evil one. But remember Jesus' promise to be with you always, never to abandon you, In all circumstances, he is with you, never forsaking you and never leaving you. He lives within you, and when you say yes to him and you become his slave, he will guide you. Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I want to close with paraphrasing a story that Melanie shared with me this morning. Lorena, if you guys want to come up. Melanie shared with me this earlier in the week, and I I didn't write it down verbatim, so um, Melanie, forgive me if I get some of it incorrect. I think I've got it right. In our own minds, we profess to be believers. We deny the devil controls our lives. And we believe that somebody that's possessed by the devil is depicted by what we see in movies where somebody's head spins around all the way and they spit green stuff all over the wall. There's another kind of possession. It's more subtle. It's when you give the evil evil one a place in your lives. It's the times you ask the what-if questions when he's guiding you, and you begin to question, what if this happens, rather than just saying yes to him. It opens up sinful motives. It opens up opportunities where you speak words of destruction, and it's not just in us but he uses it through us. You see, Peter loved Jesus, but he rebuked the the Messiah. As they were going, and Jesus explained about him being crucified, Peter said, in love for Jesus, said, don't go to Jerusalem. And what did Jesus reply? Get behind me, Satan. Reject everything that is not done or said in love that is coming from your mouth. Or entering your heart. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to live on this earth as we will reside in heaven. May we speak and rely on his truth and love as we grow to love, as we grow to be citizens of heaven here on this earth. 
Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you heard something this morning that pierced your heart that said, you know, God, I don't always speak the truth. You may throw up one of those excuses of, God, I'm just being misunderstood. God knows your heart. If you truly desire to be in love with him and to be in love with one another and to live in the truth, just ask him to come deeper into your heart. Ask him to deepen your relationship. Thank you.